We are in James, James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. So I love doing this. I get to learn. Hopefully, uh, hopefully y'all learn half as much as I learn when I'm studying for this. Uh, I learned something about the book of James when I was studying for this passage. Uh, one of the commentaries I was using pointed out that if you go back to James 1, 26 through 27, it kind of gives you a roadmap for the rest of the book. Let me read that passage for you. James 1, 26 through 27 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So what James is saying here is true religion or what it really means to follow Christ. Or to put it another way, if you're really saved, here's three ways it will come out in your life. Here's three ways God will change you when you're really saved. The faith that is with works, like we talked last week. How we speak, how we treat those who have less than us, and how we interact with the world. And when I say the world, I don't mean planet Earth. I don't even mean with other people. I mean how we interact with the sinful mentality that dominates our culture, what the Bible means when it talks about the world. and Don't be a friend of the world. So those are the three things that James is going to end up talking about. Chapter 2, which we just finished last week, is about partiality. So about how you treat those who have less than you, less status, less money, uh, less in all kinds of ways. And then chapter four, when we get to it, is going to be about how not to be a friend of the world, but a friend of God instead. So we're starting chapter three. So guess what it's about? It's about the words you speak. It's about the way you use your mouth. I've got lots and lots of stories because I've always been a talkative, outgoing person. Um, so I've got lots of what not to do's. So I just chose one personal story to begin with, and it's not even my worst, but um, it, there's something about it that sticks with me. This was many, many years ago, um, and I was, I was fairly new at, at preaching, and I made a joke. You usually get in trouble when you make a joke. I made a joke. Uh, I was calling out a scripture, and I, instead of saying Romans 3.14, I said Romans 14.3 or something like that. Uh, and immediately realized my mistake that I'd gotten it backwards and I said, oh, I guess I just went dyslexic on you because, you know, dyslexia is where you words look backwards to you. And nobody said anything at the time. But afterwards, that, that, that next week, one of our older ladies uh, called me, didn't send me a note, which is good, called me and said, oh, preacher, I'm so glad my grandson wasn't in church Sunday which is not what you want to hear, right? I'm glad my grandson didn't come to church Sunday. She said, he just found out that he's dyslexic and he's real broken up about it. And I think if he would have been there, he would have just felt like you were making fun of him and it would have broken his heart. And I thought, oh goodness, I didn't even consider that that could be offensive, right? And it seems that as a preacher, what I've learned about myself is when I go off the cuff, right? When I, when I speak extemporaneously, that's when I get into trouble. Typically. Now, what does that have to do with you? Jesus said, this is one of my, one of those verses that's just burned into my memory because it's so convicting. In Matthew 12, 36, you will be held accountable for every careless word you speak. Let me say that again. You will be held accountable for every careless word you speak. And if that doesn't strike fear into your heart, then you're mute. 
or sinless? And I don't think that's the answer. So, um, so I wish I could say that after that experience when I was in my 20s, that I learned my lesson and I've always thought carefully before I've said anything, but I haven't. The truth is, the more you open your mouth, the more you're going to sin until the Lord gets hold of you and starts to change you. And we're going to talk about what that means and how we change our hearts and change our mouths by the end of the passage. But first, let's look at the actual problem. So verse 1 of James 3 he starts off not talking about the tongue. He kind of transitions. So what, do you, what does he do? Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now, first of all, I need to say he's not talking about public school teachers or private school teachers or homeschool teachers. He's not talking about those kinds of teachers at all. He is talking about the, the office of teacher within the church, the person who is called and gifted by God to get up and speak and teach the word of God. So he's talking about me. He's talking about some of you who teach God's word for us. Uh, but the real pressing issue is wait he says we're going to be judged. Now, that's the unspoken implication. He says teachers are going to be judged more strictly. Well, that means that everybody's going to be judged. And I don't know about you, but I was always told that as God's people, we wouldn't have to face judgment, that, that we were exempt because Christ died for us. So, for instance, Romans 8.1 says, this is a great promise. There is, now, there is therefore now no condemnation for all who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. That's good news. That means that you and I will never be condemned for anything we've done. That means that Christ, uh, to put it in the words of one of the Psalms, has thrown our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, and we won't, we won't have to answer for those on the day of judgment. Hallelujah, that's wonderful news. And yet, there are multiple scriptures that indicate we will still face judgment. Hebrews says, all will die and face the judgment of God. Uh, Jesus told several parables that talk about everybody standing judgment. I, I know the parable of the talents, the parable of the minas are very similar parables about everybody's going to stand before God and their servants will be judged on, on what they did with the, the assignment God gave them. And then there's 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15, which I won't read here, but I'll, I'll just summarize. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is talking about his own ministry and he says the fire is going to test the quality of our lives. He says, if you built your life with wood or hay or stubble, what happens when fire hits it? It all burns up. But if you build it with something precious, with something lasting, with gold, with iron, with silver, the fire just purifies it and you come out clean. But you, your life remains. What Paul says in that passage is some of us are going to be like people who've been rescued out of a burning building. So imagine your house burns to the ground, but the firemen manage to get in there and drag you out before you die. Hallelujah, you didn't die, but everything you've built your life upon is rubble. It's gone. It's, it's ashes. That's going to be the picture of some Christians. We're going, to, we're going to be saved because Christ is not going to fail to keep His promise. If we trusted in Him for salvation, He will forgive us. He will deliver us. We will not miss out on eternal life with Him. And yet, we will look back at the course of our lives and say, it's all gone. I've got nothing. Nothing to show for the, the 70, 80, 90 years that I lived on this earth. And what a tragedy. What, what, a, what a terrible thing to, be, to have to say on that day. 
So uh, you might say, well, why does God do that? Why, why doesn't God just exempt us from any judgment at all? I, I think about it this way. When my kids were little, when, when Carrie and I were raising our kids and they were very small and, and then even in teenage years, we knew and we even told them, there's nothing you can ever do that will cause us to stop loving you. I, I hope every parent does that. I hope every parent makes clear to their kids no matter what you do, you may become the worst person on earth. I will still be your father. I will still be your mother. I will still claim you. I will still love you. That's true. But does that mean I exempted them from consequences? Did, I, does that, did that mean I didn't care what they did? Of course not. Uh, there were certain things that happened based on how they behaved. And, and that's the way any good parent does. And I believe God is the same way. As God's children, so what is our judgment going to be? Based on everything I know, Everything I see in the scriptures, I think our judgment won't be based on were you good enough, were you not? Our judgment will be based on what we did with the responsibilities and the opportunities we are given. This is what I think my judgment is going to be. When I get and I stand before Jesus, he's going to say, well, I, I, I entrusted you with, with a lovely woman and two wonderful kids. What did you do with them? I entrusted you with uh, some great churches. Did you shepherd them well? I entrusted you with this neighbor and this coworker and this friend and this person. And did you do your best to minister to them, to witness to them, to, to, to reach out to them in my name? And that's going to be my judgment. That's going to determine the quality of my life. And I think it's going to determine some of those rewards that we talk about in heaven, which we don't know what those will be. I just know I want to be able to stand before God someday and, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I know you do too. There's a song we used to sing long ago called Must I Go and Empty Handed. Did anybody know this song? It may just have been a Hope Baptist Church. Okay, some of you raising your hand. Must I go and empty handed? Must I meet my Savior's soul? My Savior's soul. Not one soul with which to greet him. Must I empty handed go? And the thing that that song's about is, yeah, I want to go. I'm, I'm going to be there, but I don't want to go without being able to offer him something in return. It's, it's sort of like when uh, some, you ha if you have very wealthy friends and they bring you over to their house for a nice dinner and you can't compete with that, but you want to bring something, right? You bake a pound cake or something, right? You want to bring something to, maybe that's a terrible illustration, but yeah, you get what I'm saying. So as God's children, we will be judged based on what we did with the responsibilities and opportunities we're given. Now see how much time I've spent on something that James isn't even really talking about. He's just implying. What James is saying is, all of us are going to be judged. If you think, oh man, I want to be one of those Bible teachers. They get, they get all the credit. They get all the glory. They get, you know, everybody's looking at them. They're the top of the heap. I want to be one of those Bible teachers because then I'll know that I'm I've achieved something. And that may make you laugh because our culture is very different than it was in biblical times. We measure success in very different ways. In our culture, it's much more about the car you drive or your job title or you know, the way you look back then. Uh, and, and certainly in some points in Christian history, it was all about being the best Christian. And maybe even for some of you, it's that idea. Man, I'd sure like to be a Bible teacher because then I'd know that I'd made it. And James is saying, don't be in such a hurry to dub yourself a Bible teacher because your judgment will be more strict. You'll be held to a higher standard. And I think the reason for that is that those who are called to teach have been given such an intensive, such an important responsibility. Because you think about it. I made a joke once. I was talking to a doctor and I said, you know, I, I, I'd much rather do what I do than what you do if, uh, if, I, if I 
preach a bad sermon, people just fall asleep. If you make a mistake, they fall asleep forever. And he's like, ha, ha, ha. But he said, but really, if you do a bad job, they go to hell. And I said, well, okay, you're right. I mean, it's all fun and games till you bring out the, you know, the truth. I think that's what he's saying is there, you have a great responsibility when you proclaim to speak uh, the word of God. So that's for me and for a few of you. Now here's the part for all of you. Verse two, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, perfect person, right? He's talking about men and women able also to bridle his whole body. So he's saying teachers are held accountable for what they say, but all of us are. Teachers more strictly because they proclaim to speak the word of God, but in the end, all of us are going to be judged by God based on what we say. See that second sentence when he says, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect person. That doesn't mean that if you can just, if you can just stop sinning with your mouth, the other sins don't count. What he's saying is, it's so hard to master the sins of the mouth, the sins of, the, of, the, of speech, that if you have the, the maturity and self-control to master that part of your body, the rest of your body is a piece of cake. If you can handle that, then you ought to be able to handle the rest. So how, how do you do that? Well, we'll get into how in just a moment. First, James is gonna give us some metaphors. He's gonna give us some images. Verse three, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. So that first image, that first comparison is of the bit in the mouth of a horse. Now, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, but how many of you have ever ridden a horse? Okay, so we live in Texas. That's not surprising. How many of you would say, I'm, I'm a horse person? I mean, that's, that's just something. I'm a, I'm a big time horse person. Anybody? Nobody? No one's going to say that? Okay. Well, all of you have ridden a horse, and you know, unless you just rode it bareback, you put a bit and a bridle, you put the bit in the mouth of the horse, and you held on to the reins of that bridle, right? Think about how strong a horse is. A horse is many, many, many times stronger than any person in this room. Can we all agree on that? If you walked up to a horse that didn't want to obey you and grabbed it by the ear and said, okay, come with me, you, you're... you're barking up the wrong tree, it's not gonna happen. But if you put that little tiny bit in its mouth, somehow that small little piece of metal can turn that horse any way you want it to go. It's an amazing thing. And he's saying the, the tongue is the same way. The tongue uh, can steer the course of your life. Now the second image, the second uh, illustration he gives is in verse four. He says, look at ships also. Although they are so large, and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Yet so also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. So the second illustration is the rudder of a ship. And this is an even more profound illustration because a ship is many times bigger than a horse, and yet a small rudder steers the direction of the ship. So again, the, the idea here in these first two illustrations is control. The, the way you speak can determine the course of your life. Now, here I get to tell a story on another preacher. Now, I don't know this guy, but I was reading one of his articles. This guy's named Kevin Miller, and he talks about a time that he was going on a flight with a friend of his. They were going on a trip together, and he was sitting in his seat when 
an air marshal comes up with the flight attendant and said, sir, you're gonna have to get off the plane. Now you think that would make you, uh, you know, feel your heart stop a little bit. All of a sudden you need to go to the bathroom, right? I mean, that's something you don't wanna experience. And he thought, he said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, the captain has asked for you to be ejected from this flight. He says, what did I do? He said, I don't know, the captain's just asked. And he looks at his friend and his friend says, I told you not to say it. And that's when he realized. They were standing in line at the security check and he said, hey, did you hide that bomb? Just joking around, right? You know, hope it doesn't catch, hope the security camera doesn't catch that bomb in your bag or something like that. Well, you don't joke about that. So one little joke, one little comment, changed the course, changed the destiny, changed the direction of his life. He was going on a trip, now he wasn't, right? Because of one small comment. Think about the times, and this is a depressing thought, I know. Think about the times when you've said something you shouldn't have said and it changed the entire course of your life. Maybe in small ways, like, yeah, my wife and I were going out to dinner tonight, but then I said something that really hurt her feelings and we're not going out to dinner probably for the next year. Uh, those are, that's a smaller example. Then there are those examples where you got angry and you said something and a person never spoke to you again. Uh, you, you made that, that selfish comment and that person who you were hoping to lead to Christ, well, they, they're convinced now that Christianity is just not for them. The, the tongue is a powerful member of the body, is the point that, that James is making. And then his third illustration is, is in verse 5. Middle of verse 5, he says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So the third illustration is of the forest fire, the wildfire, Unfortunately, here in America, we're all too familiar with that. Every year around this time, we see that happening. Some, you know, California, this year it's been New Mexico. Um, I remember several years ago when it was out in the Bastrop area. Y'all remember Bastrop State Park, that beautiful park, and just got devastated. You know, when those things happen, they just get out of control. Usually, usually when they go back and, and look it up, it's almost always started by something very, very small. It's rarely some mean person deliberately set the fire, occasionally, but usually it's something like a guy threw a cigarette out the window or a family was, was doing a campfire and they weren't careful enough, uh, kids doing fireworks, things like this. Something very small that just rages. And that's the image of how the tongue is a, a tiny point, part of the body and the things you say seem so minor, but they can cause such incredible destruction. Uh, I, like, I, I heard about a, a, a woman who was at work. She was really frustrated with a coworker, so she grabbed another coworker and said, I need to talk to you, and went into the bathroom, went into the ladies' bathroom, right? And so that she's just telling her all the things that make her mad about this coworker. Well, the coworker was in the stall. You can't, you can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. Think about how many riots, how many lynch mobs, how many acts of violence have started because of a false accusation or because of an inflammatory word that someone spoke. Um, think about this too. This one's, gonna, this one's gonna hurt to hear. If you're a parent, your words, if you're not careful, can alter the course of your child's life for bad. Think about a girl who grows up in a home where she's told she's not pretty and what that does to her. How many girls 
have eating disorders or think they're not worth anything just because their parents maybe compared them to a prettier older sister or or made fun of them for their appearance. Or think about uh, a kid who is told, well, you can't get anything right. And then they grow up idolizing success, just chasing success. And no matter what they do, they can never feel successful enough because they're always trying to prove their parents wrong. Just little words. I mean, the parent who said it was maybe just blowing off steam, maybe just thought, well, you know, my dad was kind of hard on me. Those words matter. And that last sentence that he says, he says, it's, it's a world of destruction. It is an evil fire. And then it says, and it is set on fire. It's set on fire by hell. Now, what does that mean? It could mean one of two things. This is one of those situations where I'm not going to campaign hard for either one. It could mean when it says, uh, let me go back to it. It is set on fire by hell. It could mean that if you have an uncontrolled tongue, that tongue and the rest of that body are going to burn in hell someday, right? Uh, here's one to back that up. Matthew 5.22, Jesus famously in the Sermon on the Mount said, if anybody calls his brother, you fool, uh, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So Jesus and Jesus' brother James are both telling you, take this seriously. There are eternal consequences. The other possible meaning that James meant was that the fire, you know, he's comparing the tongue to a spark of fire that destroys. That what he's saying is that fire that's in your mouth is set by the fires of hell itself. That, that when you speak careless words, you're a tool of the devil. You are an instrument of hell itself spreading hellfire all around you. I think both are true. I don't know which one James meant, but either way, the point is the same, and that is the tongue is a destructive thing, and we need to take it seriously. I, I, I don't want to dwell too long on this, but I have known people, and I've been related to some people, and I've probably been this person at times who thought, well, I go to church, and I'm a good person in so many ways, but think nothing of gossiping, right? Or or uh, venting to others or criticizing, being a hypercritical, complaining person. And those things, we, we underestimate how much those things matter. So, verse 7. He says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Okay, so we've been pretty grim, but I get to share a funny story now, okay? I love this, one of my favorite jokes. So, preacher, one day he's walking down the street. Uh, he's near his home. He sees a little boy sitting out on the front porch, and there's a lawnmower right next to him that says, for sale, $25. And he thinks, boy, that's, that's a pretty good deal. And he goes up to that boy, and he says, son, does this lawnmower work? And he said, yes, sir, it sure does. He says, you promise? I mean, I'm a preacher. You better not lie to me. He says, yeah, it works. You just have to cuss it whenever you start it. He says, what do you mean? Well, you just have to say some dirty words when you pull that cord. Otherwise, it won't start. And the preacher goes, okay, whatever. So he pays him $25. He takes it home. It's time to mow the yard anyway. So he tries to start it. He pulls. He pulls. Nothing happens. He pulls. He does everything he can think. He empties out the gas, puts in new gas. He changes all kinds of things and, and nothing works. Finally, he goes back to that kid. He said, son, you told me that lawnmower worked. I can't believe you'd lie to me. He said, preacher, I was telling you the truth. It, it works. And he said, but, but it won't start for me. He said, well, did you cuss it? He said, son, I am a pastor. I'm a man of God. It's been so long since I've said any of those words. I don't think I can even remember them anymore. And the kid said, 
Well, preacher, you just keep pulling that cord and you'll, they'll come back to you. <laughs> See, I love that. <laughs> and the point is that when you start using your tongue in a certain way, when you start speaking evil words, whether it's words of profanity or untruth or gossip or complaining or criticism or blasphemy or any number of ways, once you start, it's hard to stop. It gets into your bones. You, you can't stop on your own. You cannot control your tongue on your own. You may think you're a person of great self-control, but you're not. You may be able to stop doing one sin of the mouth, but another one will pop up. This is not something you can control on your own. So, verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So, He's, he's talking to us about how, in a, in a way, it's blasphemy for us to sit in church on a Sunday and praise the Lord and then go home and use those same words, those same mouths, those same tongues to assault people, to insult people, to, to defame the name of God. Just keep in mind, and I think this is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate your brother, You've already killed him. If you call him a fool, then you're guilty of the fires of hell. What he's saying is, listen, you think it's okay that you haven't killed anybody, but the words you say about them and to them mean you think no more of them than if you'd shot them in the head. You, you are betraying the fact that this is a person created in the image of God, but you don't esteem them that way. You know, Jesus' point is, if you knew the child of a king you would speak to them with gentleness and respect. Well, guess what? Every person you know is a child of the king. So speak to them in such a way. Back to James. James says, if you find a spring and it's got fresh water in it, you're not going to come back tomorrow and, and taste salty water. If you're picking figs off of a fig tree the next day, you're not going to come and, and try to find grapes there. We know this. Your mouth can only really be for one thing. So if you're using your mouth inappropriately, then God doesn't want your praises. It comes to that. Then, God, then your praises to God are a lot. Now that's sobering, isn't it? We come to church and we feel pretty good about ourselves. Because most people don't. Most Christians don't even come anymore. So we showed up and we sang all the songs. We were even pretty much on key doesn't matter. If we use those same mouths to defame other people, to complain about our lot in life, to, uh, to, to express anger in an inappropriate way, well then we might as well have stayed home as far as God is concerned. He does not want our insincere worship. Remember, change is hard. In fact, change is impossible unless something supernatural happens. So how do we get to where we need to be with the words we speak? Jesus said, it's, and in fact, the whole scripture is, is 
consistent on this. It's not a matter of trying real hard to control the words you say. It starts in the heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can take that two ways. You can take that to mean, I know what your heart is like by what you say. And that's true. You can also take it to mean, if I want to change what I say, I need to work on my heart first. I need to change the condition of my inside. And then what comes out of me will change to go along with it. The the wrong way to be is to, to try to adapt to the situation you're in. I was talking to my dad recently, and uh, I, he probably wouldn't want me to share this, but he probably won't hear me say this. So uh, he said, you know, I, all my life I've been bothered by people who are too slick. I said, what do you mean, slick? He said, well, you know, it's, it's somebody who, when they're with this group of people, they talk this way. But when they're with this group of people over here, they talk a completely different way. They sound completely different. They adapt to that group and they they use a different kind of language. They take on a different persona. He said, I don't trust them because I'm wondering, what are you like when you're not around me? And I said, yeah, I wonder how often I've done that. You know, as someone who likes to be liked, like most of us, I wonder how often I've done that. And that's what Jesus is telling us we can't do when it comes to the sins of the mouth. We can't just say, well, when I'm around my Christian friends, I'll talk like a Christian. And then when I'm around my friends that, that, uh, that like to gossip, I'll gossip. And when I'm around my friends that like to cuss, I'll cuss. And when I'm, you know, we can't do that. That's not the answer. Paul also said, we must be, this is Romans 12.1, we must be transformed by the renewing of our what? Our minds. So Jesus said it's the heart. Paul says it's the mind. Both, it's about, for both, it's about an internal transformation that shows itself outwardly. And again, again, that's the opposite of the way we attack things. I think as, as Christians, we are, we're quick to handle the external sins first so we can fit in with our Christian friends. And then when it comes to those internal sins, the things we think, the things we, the, the motives of our heart and, and the way we think about others, we're like, ah, I'll get to that eventually. That's just too hard. And we need to do it the opposite. Remember the image Jesus said about the Pharisees. You wipe the outside of the cup, but you leave the inside dirty which is a good joke, right? Because who's going to drink coffee out of that cup? Jesus said, clean the inside and the whole thing will be clean. So how do we do that? I think we go back to verse 10. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. We can't praise God and curse people. So if you have a problem with cursing people, the answer is to praise God. Well, wait a second, Jeff. You, You said just a moment ago that we shouldn't, I mean, God doesn't want our praise if we're out cursing people. This is what I'm saying. We start with praising the Lord. We don't slander people and and use our mouths for, for ugliness all week and then get cleansed by saying a few praises on Sunday. We start with praising the Lord. We come before God with true praise. And true praise is when you when you get humble before the Lord and you say, Heavenly Father, I'm here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm here by your grace. You know the sins of my mouth. You know the sins of my heart. Cleanse me. And you confess them before God. And you confess them before His his power and His grace. And you say, I need you to change me. And as you do, you praise the one who alone is able to make you a new person. 
So when you praise, you become someone who sincerely praises God, you will be a person who can't curse people anymore because your praise is real, because it comes from a heart of real repentance. You're not trying to put a Band-Aid on a problem. You're not trying to uh, be phony. You're being real before the Lord, and it produces change in your heart. I want you to remember what happened in Acts chapter 2. So, okay, side note for just a moment. I love this about the New Testament. People who think that Christianity is made up, I want to ask them, okay, so if you're saying that 2,000 years ago, 12 or 13, 14 people got together and said, let's invent a religion based on a guy who's arrested by the state and put to death publicly, you know, nailed to a cross naked, and uh, declared a revolutionary, and, and then let's also make ourselves look like fools the whole time. Is that the way a religion starts? No. I mean, that's not the way any religion starts. You read the, you read the Gospels and you see the founders of Christianity come off terribly, terribly in the, in the four Gospels. It's hard to find anything they did right until something happens. What happens? Acts chapter 2. You know what Acts chapter 2 is, right? That's the day of Pentecost. And suddenly, those, those, those men and women sitting in a room together, wondering what to do, Jesus has ascended into heaven. Now, he's not around anymore. What, what are we supposed to do now? He told us to wait. Wait for what? I don't know. And then suddenly, these tongues of fire, isn't that an interesting way to put it? Tongues of fire came and rested on each one of them, and they were able to speak languages they'd never heard before. And in this case, uh, this is not a lesson about, about speaking in tongues. In this case, the purpose of that was not worship or communion with God. It was to be able to communicate with people in the city who were from other countries who couldn't understand otherwise, to speak to them in their, in their heart language and to tell them the gospel. And so these people who, I mean, think about Peter. Think about Peter just less than two months ago. He's denying Jesus three times. Now he and the other disciples go out and they're preaching the gospel. And then this crowd gathers and he gets up and preaches maybe the greatest sermon ever preached other than the Sermon on the Mount. And thousands of people get saved. So in that moment, God changed his tongue. I'm not saying Peter never sinned again with his mouth because we know he did. We know he made some mistakes in the future and some of them are even in scripture. But it changed the way he used his words. And God can do the same for you. And only God can do the same for you. And it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who falls upon us and empowers us to change. And it starts with repentance. It starts with acknowledging before God that we need help. So don't ever say, well, this is just the way I am. Don't ever say, well, I know, but the people I hang out with, they like to tell those jokes. The people I hang out with, they like a little gossip. Or I've just gotten used to it. Don't ever settle for that. The, everyone you know is waiting to see evidence of real change. And it starts here. So, yeah, that's, that's the beginning, just the beginning of James chapter 3. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are... Grateful that you love us enough to be brutally honest with us. Lord, through the book of James, you tell us that our words matter. And many other scriptures tell us the same. Lord, I, I don't want my careless words to testify against you. 
I don't want to seem to be ashamed of you, and I don't want to drive anyone away from you, and I don't want to quench the Holy Spirit or wound your, your heart. And Lord, I confess that many times I've spoken carelessly and thoughtlessly and selfishly, spoken to try to impress people or spoken, Lord, in anger. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would transform me. I pray as a teacher of the word that I would take seriously the, the gift and the calling you've given me. And I pray the same for others who are given that call. But Lord, for all of us, help us to be humble before you each day. And Lord, to ask you every day to, to put, a, put a guard on our mouths so that our words would be used for your glory and your glory alone. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.